The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Dugout Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast today. I am joined by Gray McKenzie. Gray is from Zen Pilot, and he is a true operations nerd with the passion for helping businesses build healthy, productive, and profitable teams. Gray has built Zen Pilot into ClickUp's largest and highest rated solutions partner and has spent the past decade helping over 2,700 teams streamline their operations. He and his wife are raising four wonderful children in Western Pennsylvania and are always looking for new travel and adventure recommendations. If you have a favorite trip, reach out to Gray and let him know. Gray, welcome to the Dugout CEO. Thanks, Casey. Pumped to be here. Yeah, it just made sense. You're a co-founder, you're an entrepreneur, you're a former baseball player and coach. So I'm like, you know what? We got to make this happen. So thanks for making this happen. And why don't we start with, uh, I don't know if it's the good stuff, because I like business a lot and life and leadership, but baseball. You were a player and then did a little bit of coaching as well. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, I uh, actually, the first memory, which is also the first practice I ever went to, I was eight years old. And I was taking taking standardized tests at school. Went right after tests to go to uh, to tryouts. I was not, I mean I'd thrown around a lot, but I hadn't played at all. So I was eight. When did when did you start playing, Casey? Probably younger than Gosh, that, right? Probably five ish. Yeah. yeah, right. I think that's what most people do. But uh, not not in my family. I'm one of twelve kids, so my parents were like, when you guys hit eight, you can do one activity. Pick pick what you want and go go do whatever. And anyway, so I got stuck out in right field. Coach, I don't know what he was thinking. It's like. You know, I'm sure it was not that hard of a line drive, but hit me right between the eyes. And I had this huge goose egg. I could hardly see for standardized tests the next couple of days. But that's where baseball started for me. And uh, I only played through high school. I actually played lacrosse in college. So I'm a weird baseball lacrosse kind of crossover guy. Um, and then have coached for the last uh, last decade, most of that time um, at the high school level uh, here in Western Pennsylvania. And then for the last year and a half, I guess I stepped down as the, uh, head coach of the local high school and I've just been coaching my now six year old. So my goodness. All right. He hasn't had any of those balls to the face yet. He's doing no. okay. No, he's been, he's been totally fine. He he loves it. He, uh, every single day, as soon as I come up the stairs from, from work, he's like, let's go, hit, let's go hit, let's go throw. And my two year old now is getting really into hitting outside as well. So it's fun to, fun to play with him. It's got to be cool. I got a couple of kids that are a little bit younger than that, but they're starting to pick up balls and throw things and some things they shouldn't be throwing and some things yep. they should. But um, as long as they don't throw each other, that's the goal, right? Right, right. Yep, we'll take it. Well, good deal. Well, um, growing up as a fan of the game, did you have a certain team you cheer for or play or anything like that? I remember being uh, four or five and living in Syracuse. And my dad's a huge Red Sox fan. Like, I mean, all the names of the Red Sox were like drilled into my head from uh, he was a huge Carlton Fisk like fan growing up in the, uh, in the late 60s and 70s. And um, so in Syracuse, I remember looking at the 
back of a box of cereal and they had like you could send in you know however many box tops and get the little helmet of whatever team and i was like the indians that's the one that i want i have no idea why so i became a big cleveland fan and still root for the guardians and follow them closely yeah gosh i remember back in the 90s they were really good and they had that world series run against uh the marlins and i think maybe yeah. 97 and uh Brady yeah they're a team i'm always they're a team i'm always cheering for i don't know if they're an underdog or what, but it just seems like a small market team. There's somebody that you kind of got to root for. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, so that was 90, either 93 or no, I guess we moved from Syracuse in 93. It must've been 93. So they were, had a, a terrible history and then I just happened to start liking them at the right time. So I, I stuck with it. Yeah. Well, well, great. Well, transitioning into the business side of things, Zen pilot. So we can get into more of what you do for agencies, but you know, your tagline is, right? Double your agency's productivity. That word productivity, efficiency, automation, like it's a thing in life and business that I don't know if it's a buzzword, but it's true. Like you want to be productive. Like how would you identify productivity? Like what does that actually mean? How do you know if you are? So I mean, it's all about how to like, it's the idea of leverage. How do we achieve stuff uh, faster? The what productivity doesn't get at at all is the like productivity speaks to the efficiency side or one of the, I think, most people think productivity, they think very, very closely tied to the efficiency side and not necessarily the efficacy. Like, are we actually doing the right things? Are we getting the right outcomes of, of what we're doing? And so I like the word productivity because I think of it more as like, if I'm being productive, I'm hopefully both choosing the right things to work on and uh, I'm doing it efficiently. But yeah, I think in most cases, you know, it's, hey, can we hit the, what's the definition of done and done well enough? Can we pass, pass the QA test on stuff? and get it done more quickly than we would otherwise through some combination of, you know, automation or uh, process or delegation, or in some cases, elimination. That's interesting. So not only getting things done efficiently, but doing the right things. So as an entrepreneur and just a guy that just makes stuff happen, how do you figure out, am I doing the right things for my business? Am I doing the right things to, you know, move the needle forward? Right. I mean, this is your world, right? It's like we run on EOS. We've been using EOS since 2016. And so everything's got to work backwards from, I don't know how much you've talked about the entrepreneurial operating system on this podcast before, but, uh, you know, they've got this vision traction organizer, which is just basically like, what's the big, what's the really simplified version of the business plan and your vision and, and where you're going. And so everything's got to work backwards from there. And then there's, you know, the quarterly meetings that you have then your weekly level 10 meetings. And there's all this lingo that we can throw out, but it's basically just what are our cadences and rhythms for going back to that vision and saying, Hey, is what we're doing in line with that? And is it working? Yeah. I always talk to people when I'm, because I teach some of these principles where it's like, what's the big goal? Like long-term, where do you want to be? And then, okay, if you want to be there five years from now, all right, well, what needs to happen three years from now? And then, okay, if you want to be there three years from now, well, a year from now, what do you need to accomplish? And it feels like a lot of businesses, they have these big goals, but then they're like, all right, where do we even go to get started? So how do you guys take these big goals that you guys have as a company and then break those down and then actually make sure the right stuff's getting done? What does that actually look like for you all? Is looking at, so I like the, the entrepreneurial operating system model is, hey, we've got this 10 year vision of where we're going. Then we've got our three year, our three year mini version of that. And then we've got our one year picture of, hey, what does this look like over the next, our, our one year plan, our three year picture. Um, and then we've got these quarterly sessions. So once we've identified what is, you know, the, everything for us, it really starts to get practical as you get into where are we going over the next year? And then it becomes about, okay, over the next quarter, what does this look like? So we've got, um, it's myself, my co-founder, Andrew, 
um, are the two owners of the company. Uh, right now it's both of us and one other person on our leadership team. And so a lot of like, how do we actually pick those right things is the, the friction of, hey, can we push each other towards what will actually be the most impactful things, not the things that we'd gravitate towards. If it was up to me, like I'd do a bunch of podcasts like this for one day a week, and then I'd spend four days a week just building assets and little tools and little ways to automate stuff because that's what naturally is like cool or interesting to me, but that's not the highest impact thing for the business. So a lot of that is just breaking that like one year thing down into, you, uh, I don't know if you follow Tim Ferriss at all, and this isn't original to Tim, but this was who, where I first heard the idea, like what's the one decision that you can make that makes all the subsequent decisions easier. So once we decided our part of that three-year picture for us is we want to be the number one like go-to resource. When you Google something about agency operations, that's you should find a Zen pilot piece of content. And when you read that piece of content or watch that piece of content or listen to that piece of content, you should realize we know this stuff better than anybody else does. So if we're going to be that, you know, go-to resource for agency operations, that has to start with a whole lot of content and, and a, a serious point of view around what operations should look like that we're clear about now. So that means we got to be clear on, you know, we've written like this manifesto and um, we've got to be clear in our thinking around that stuff. So kind of working backwards from that. that so, so that thing, say that thing again that you want to be known for as a company? Uh, agency operations. So basically what is, what is an agency operator? How do I become a better one? And what are all the, the bits and pieces and the chunks that I have to learn along the way? So that's like your company's goal of what you want to be the best in the world at. Yeah, right. And then it's how do we actually make that happen? And then, all right, well, what do we need to do over the next 90 days to at least start that process to get there? Is that your line of thinking? Yeah, exactly. I wonder how many – so uh, college that I went to, they just hired a new coach. And he hit me up the other day, and we were getting ready to have a conversation. And the first thing I was going to ask him is, you know, what do you want out of the program? And I'm just really curious what he's going to say. Right. And it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm wondering if a lot of businesses, and you work with a lot of companies, they really know, like, what is their North Star? Like, what do they want to be three years from now or five years from now? Because it sounds like if they're not clear on that, then they don't really know. And even if you don't own a business, if you're just a person, if you're a husband, if you're a dad, like, what kind of dad do you want to be in three years? What what kind of dad do your, do your you know, what do you want your kids to say about you as a dad what is your wife you want your wife to say about you as a husband so i'm just wondering like that north star do you, you guys obviously have this as a company do you find a lot of businesses have that or what do you what do you find um no i don't think the majority are are fully clear i think most of it i think a couple of things one i think the vision piece is so important because you know it says in proverbs uh where there is no vision the people perish um, and so there's got to be clarity of where are we going if we're going to build a team and grow together. There's three main archetypes of folks who own marketing agencies. You've got like the accidental agency founder. I would assume this applies to other. This is just my realm of, of my, my little slice of the world that I live in. But I'm, I'm sure this applies to a bunch of other uh, business types as well. So you get the person who was a freelance, you know, they're building websites out of their basement or, you know, they got hired for, I don't know, doing design or something by enough people that they finally said, hey, I should just hang up my own shingle and I should build a business. And the other two types are like the anti-agency agency, which is like, hey, I was in-house doing marketing somewhere. Every agency experience I had was terrible. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. So I'm going to go build the agency. And on all, every single one of those websites, it says, we are not your normal agency. And there's like 4,000 not your normal agency agencies that are all exactly like your normal agency. And then you've got uh, like the ex-agency folks. So the folks who were working somewhere at another agency 
and said either, you know, I could do this better or I could make more money doing this on my own. You know, I'm smarter than this person that I'm working for. I'll go do it for myself. And in, in most of those cases, I think the anti-agency agency sometimes has, they've got a clear vision around what should be different, but none of those really lend themselves to like, here's my thesis of how the world should work. And here's my clear vision of where I'm going. And most of it is uncovered kind of a step at a time. So whatever you know, whatever you have seen is possible, uh, tends to define for all of us what we think we could attain or what we could possibly get to. You know, it would be amazing if I could do $83,000 a month and be a million dollar company. And you get to it and realize that, like this is tiny. I could be doing, you know, 10 times this or two times this or whatever it looks like. So, um, no, I'd say there's, um, I don't know what that percentage is. If I had to guess it'd be like 30% of folks who I talk to, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your number is who come in and say, Hey, I've got a clear, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to build this thing to $10 million. I'm going to sell this in five years. And here's what I want to do next. And they've got some clear, uh, vision. And then the percentage of those folks who've taken that vision and actually disseminated it and shared it with their team. So their team's all clear. That's gotta be, you know, 20% of the 30%. Like that's, that's a small number. Yeah. I, I think you're probably pretty close to that. And then not only is it internally having a clear vision, but then it's externally being able to communicate you as a company and what you do and what makes you special to get clients and customers. You're working with all kinds of different business owners. The ones that do it well, what are their traits? What makes the ones that are in the top 1% one percenters? Uh, the two like really simple things that pop to mind right away is, People who've gotten clear on what they want, they already know for them, what do they actually want out of the experience? I think that's hard for any of us to, to know ourselves enough to know what we want. And also it's stressful because what we want changes over time, but they set, set some, you know, pin in the ground and say, Hey, here's what I'm, here's what I'm going towards. And the second thing, if you were to work at Zen pilot for a day, what you would probably hear a couple times. And by the time you're here for two weeks, you'd kind of be sick of hearing it. Is somebody say clarity is kindness. And the, I was at the, um, speaking of entrepreneurial operating system, I was at the EOS conference in Indianapolis um, in April this year. And all the impactful stories that I heard from folks, everyone who's had a transformation story of, hey, we implemented this, this is helpful. Almost all those stories boiled back to, like, I finally got clear with people. I had those hard conversations that I needed to have, or I told people what my real expectations or what I really wanted. So I think those two things are just know what we want and then be willing to step up and be clear to people that, hey, there's a, like, I actually do want to sell this business in a couple of years. And to most people, that's super scary to tell their team and say, Hey, I'm trying to exit this thing, or I wanted to grow it to this number, or I want to make, you know, I, I think that I can build an agency that does 40% profit margins. It's scary to kind of be, be real with people. But when you do that, what you always find is people either like, it's, it's a magnet, you know, people either rally around that and they want to be a part of it or they want to get off the bus and, and move somewhere else. So I really think it is the kindest thing you can do. Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, you've hit some home runs growing this business. You know, we've been a client of yours. I've seen how you work and how you treat people and how you deliver, which everything seems to be super efficient, right? And optimized, which that's what you help us do. So it makes sense that you guys are doing that internally. Some of the home runs that you've hit building this business, the good decisions that you've made that, hey, you know what? If somebody's listening to this or building their own business or running their own organization, what are some home runs that you've hit and some things that you've done that you're like, you know what? Everybody should do this. I think going super tight on a niche. This is like back to the principle of what's the one decision that makes the rest of the decisions easier. Being really tight on, hey, who we're going to focus on 
all of our marketing is going to be geared towards agencies and specifically who are the operators at those agencies who have a desire, you know, they have to have some desire to want to run a more efficient, more profitable, more productive um, team and increase team health. So I'd say that's one of the, the key decisions. I think the other um, big one that I would point to in our evolution. So my business partner, Andrew, and I went to college together. We played lacrosse together for four years. Um, so what are we? We're now in year 16 or year 17 of doing stuff together. This is our third iteration of business together. And in this business, um, which has grown to be the largest one so far, we got super clear about who was doing what. And before, I think in any any type of co-founder relationship, you want complementary skill sets instead of redundancies, but there are a lot of redundancies um, between us. It's part of why we get along well is there's definitely some differences, but we have a lot of shared values and you know, we were into marketing together. That's why we ran a marketing agency originally, but we got super clear. I'm going to own the growth side of the business and I'm in charge of going out to the market and making the promise of what we're going to do. And Andrew is in charge of the delivery side of the business and he has to keep the promises that I'm making and the like, the key relationship in the business is our relationship and, and feedback loop to each other. I can say, here's what the market is asking for. You know, we need to find a way to deliver on this. And he can say, Hey, you can't sell that anymore. We can't deliver this piece or, Hey, we've got this new thing that we've figured out and you need to tweak how you're, how you're selling it. And so that started as just the two of us originally going back and forth. And now that's pivoted into, you know, I'm out of the day-to-day sales. He's out of the day-to-day delivery. And so now it becomes how well can we lead teams to, to keep, to set, uh, accurate expectations and make good promises and then consistently keep those promises. That's so good. Now, over these years, you've probably had a couple swing and a misses as well, where it's like, you know what, that idea didn't go to plan or anything that you were like, you know what, I wish I had a mulligan, you know, there's no mulligans in baseball, but if you did, is there anything you're like, you know what, I wish I would have done that differently or maybe not even did that thing at all? Yeah. I mean, a couple, um, these are kind of the same principle, so I'll, I'll keep these shorter. Um, but there's two that are both examples of the same mistake or, or similar mistakes. We built a marketing agency. Then we bootstrapped a project management software. It was called Do Inbound, and it was geared towards inbound marketing agencies originally. And we were big on, we're going to bootstrap this thing, um, and we're going to grow you know, a big project management software in this, in this niche. And I think in other niches, that could have been a really good approach. But we were taking one of the most tech forward industries, the marketing agency space, where all these people are living on their computers all day and trying out all kinds of different tools. And the most competitive um, software category, project management, you know, that's like the joke is every software entrepreneur has a to-do list, like somewhere in the graveyard of, yeah. of, of tech startups that they've, they've tried at some point. And so the combination of the most competitive industry and a tech forward audience and trying to bootstrap that and not raise money and go compete with Asana and Monday and ClickUp and whoever else was just a dumb tactical decision and a swing and a miss for us that ultimately led to us playing most or spending most of our time playing catch up with features that other platforms were releasing instead of, kind of taking our own point of view and pushing pushing that forward in the marketplace. I think it's still possible. You know, there's Basecamp famously and Teamwork. Uh, up until recently had, had bootstrapped, but we picked a really hard problem to solve and a poor way to, to solve that problem. And then tied to that one, the other piece that, that I learned, and this was a big swing and a miss out of that was, uh, you know, we put a couple million dollars into building out the software. Uh, we grew it to a little over 500 customers. So we made some good progress with it. 
but along the way we were taking a ton of the profits from our marketing agency and that's what funded you know the development of the software and and then the the worst mistake that's not necessarily the the biggest mistake the worst mistake was taking the best folks from the agency side and kind of cannibalizing a good business and moving them over to the software side and basically killing uh gutting our our agency in the process so i think both of those in hindsight are really clear and moving forward i'm trying to take those principles and apply it and say hey don't don't kill the good thing that you've got going figure out if you can make a new business stand on its own or raise money if that's the route you have to go uh, and the other one is just being um, smarter about the situation that we're in and picking the right approach for the the problem set that we're facing yeah it's really good because i think the visionary in a lot of entrepreneurs is they want to start another business or they want to grow or they want to add something new where if they just double down on what they're currently doing and doing well, they could probably 10 yeah. X their business, but they get distracted and it is the shiny object syndrome. And, you know, I've heard grass is greener, but it's really greener wherever you plant. So it is like as entrepreneurs, and I've been in this where I'm really good at one thing. And now I think I can just go be really good at another thing where you really got to test and be careful. And I'm working with a client right now where they have a huge problem, just like you mentioned. They have a really big problem in the marketplace they're trying to solve. And they're wanting to go and raise money and start taking action by just like slow down. Really understand, well, what is the solution to the problem? Because just because there's a problem that you want to solve, you really got to understand, well, what is the solution that people are actually going to want and are they actually going to pay for it? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, it's, was it ready, aim, fire, where a lot of it's just like, just fire, just go, which I think is good because you got to grow businesses. But if you can slow down and it sounds like you and your business partner have a little bit of that relationship now where one might want to go and the other one might want to go a little bit slower. And um, do you see that with businesses every once in a while where, you know, it is, you know, ready, fire, aim rather than ready, aim, fire approach. And then how do people in general make sure when they're launching a new initiative or growing a business or trying anything new that they really have a good plan before they just jump in and start? Your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. So most entrepreneurs are great at starting things and getting it off the ground and having momentum and getting people excited about it and getting early customers and solving that problem. And then at some point, the shine either wears off or there's just something else that's a little bit shinier. And so they want to go, you know, that, that great strength that was the whole reason they have a business to begin with becomes the weakness that I've, that's like our story is uh, being so excited about the next thing that we didn't take care and steward the the current thing very well. So how you guard against that has to be a combination of uh, being clear on your vision and where you're going. Um, and then I think it's also got to come from other people. You know, you mentioned relationships, like you have to have somebody who can help kind of be some, some form of accountability to you. So we didn't have, when we were building a software company, we didn't have a board of advisors, uh, board of directors or anything like that. And it was just kind of us jumping out of one thing. To the, and, and that's the case for most entrepreneurs, you know, the, there's 2% of people probably who have a board who they're reporting to or any type of formal accountability. Um, but that would be super helpful uh, for most folks to have, even informally. Just, uh, you know, I've got a number of friends who I've not put this together myself uh, in any formal way, but I've got some friends who've actually formally put together like their life's board of advisors. And they've got three to five people who there's a big decision in their life. They're calling and saying, Hey, like, here's the situation. Can I walk you through this and, and get your wisdom? I know when I've made my best decisions in life, I've had those people that I've said, hey, what would you think? And they're like, you know what? I think that's a good idea. Or, hey, what about this? Or tweak this. And then when I 
made some decisions I look back on. I didn't have those people. And you'll like this. Um, I had Tom Roy on our podcast, former college baseball coach, and he said, everybody needs a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas, an encourager, a helper, an accountability partner, wow. right? And it's like, you need those people in your life. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to encourage you and push you. And somebody just to like, you got it. I believe in you. You can make it happen. And I wonder, as you're listening to this, do you have those people in your life? And I don't know if, if you just had one, which one's more important. I would probably say I need an accountability partner, right? Uh, or somebody to ask me the tough questions that I either don't want to ask myself or I don't even know to ask myself. Do you, do you find that as well? that yeah. some entrepreneurs might need those kind of people? For sure. I'd say most entrepreneurs probably fall into the bucket of, Hey, we need some accountability here, but I think it's totally, you know, I, I've got, uh, I've got people in, in my head right away. I won't uh, call anybody out, but I know I've got, uh, some of my best friends where it's like, they don't need any more accountability. They're overthinking everything that they do and not taking action because of it. What they really need is another strong cheerleader saying, yeah, go for it. You got this, like go, go step out and do it. So you probably, I think you're right. I think that's a great insight. It's like, hey, you want to have all three, uh, but yeah, I'm sure some people need more of one and and less of another. Yeah, and for like the accountability side, it's really when you have that clear vision, like you mentioned earlier, it's just staying focused on that. And that's why I have, if you're watching this, right, you can see my stay focused sign. Why? It's because that's my biggest challenge. I'm allowed and able to help others stay focused, but for me myself, it's really hard. So. I have that person that I meet with every other Thursday and we talk about issues and the things I need to do. And in two Thursdays, th those things are going to be done. But if that person wasn't meeting with me every week, I'd probably find another shiny object to go after or not do it or excuse. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's, that's really good. Well, what's next for Zen pilot. And then just remind the audience, I know you're working a lot with agencies, but who's a good person to reach out to you guys just as a company. And then one more time, what is the solution that you're giving them? Yeah, that's great. So what's next for us is just continue, like stay accountable, continue down the, the path that we're doing. There's a lot of exciting stuff that happens inside of that. So ways that we can use AI, that's like the hot, the hot topic right now is, hey, how can we uh, proactively identify where the gaps are uh, more easily with AI? We, we're gathering all this data and creating all this, um, all this data. And so there's the obvious insights that we should be harvesting and have a way to harvest for ourselves. And then there's the stuff that that we might not even see that that AI could build out. So um, as we're working with operators of, of businesses, that's been one of the hot topics and big areas that we're pushing into. The flip side of that is we spend a ton of time and we're beefing up more kind of the training for every role inside an organization and specific training uh, to those roles because a ton of this boils down to what are the habits that the team has. You know, the software part is sexy. That's like the the cool thing to talk about is what are the tools and the processes, people are excited to build processes and the, you know, the most boring part of it, but the most important part is the habits uh, that team members use. And then the recap. So if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with me, you can go to zenpilot.com. You can email me directly. It's just my first name, gray at zenpilot.com or find me on LinkedIn, Gray McKenzie. And um, so I, I mentioned like everything that we do marketing wise is towards agencies. There's a difference between who we are targeting in our market and kind of what business will allow in. So if a, like an in-house marketing team, a legal zoom is a good uh, recent example where there's a big in-house marketing team and there's some different functions in the company. 
really the psycho so the demographic might be hey we're looking for marketing agencies in our marketing but the psychographic is more important which is do we have somebody who's systems oriented and they want a way where their team members from top to bottom in the organization show up and have clarity so at a you know managerial level i've got clarity in how my team is doing or how this set of projects is doing but in an individual contributor i'm giving people the gift of here's exactly what's on your plate today and here's how to do your work uh, the right and best way every time. Um, so if anyone wants to reach out and chat about that, I would love to love to have those conversations. It's fantastic. All right, so let's go back to Cleveland Indians. I'm going to ask you to come up with one piece of good advice for Dugout Nation, but let's look back to the Indians. Gosh, some of their best pitchers over the years. What? I remember CC Sabathia back in the day. Who were some other Cleveland Indians, like legendary pitchers? Anybody jump out at you? So Oral Hershiser was not a legendary. He was on that 95 team uh, against the Braves, and he was kind of my first baseball hero. But then you get into, like, the Jarrett Wright, Charles Nagy, like, in the late 90s, and then Bartolo Colon and Sabathia, Cliff Lee, Corey Kluber. All right, so let's go with Bartolo Colon because he was amazing. And he, I mean, back in the day, he was – you know, triple digits. And he was one of the first guys I remember throwing a hundred miles an hour. So he was known for some chin music from time to time, brushing some hitters back. Give us some chin music. Everybody listening to this gray, they're a leader at some level or they're a leader at home or business or they're a coach. If you want to give dugout nation one piece of advice or something to share, what would that be? So I got asked this question when I was, uh, I just started dating my now wife and we went to have lunch with her grandparents and her grandfather is like every conversation. I've seen this now 50 times since then, so I laugh about it, but I didn't know this happened at the time. He's like no small talk right into like hard life questions, and he always catches people off guard. So he said uh, something like this is, you know, a year out of college or something. He's like, so what's the biggest thing that you learned in college? And it's still probably what I would say to Chin Music, which is relationships matter most. You know, I paid – I worked my way through college – I uh, took a year off before school and worked in a lumber yard. Uh, then I paid my way through school and, uh, you know, 85 or 90 grand or whatever that I spent going to college was m- maybe worth it for the education part. But the friendships that I made and the relationships that I built were totally worth it. Way more than that. In this business, working with Andrew over the last 16 years, our commitment to each other has been the relationship is going to come first. And that might kill the business at some point. That will certainly hold us back in some ways, but we're going to make sure that this relationship doesn't fall apart and we're willing to uh, kind of bear the cost of whatever that might be in terms of dollars to do it. I don't, I think that's unpopular uh, advice. I don't think that's always the right way to go from a capitalist perspective. That's probably not the right way to go, but that is, that's the thing that I am left with in kind of every interaction that we have, every client that we serve. The point that I want to share with our team is, Hey, invest in these relationships. These are all people. These are eternal souls that we get a chance to interact with and let's, let's push people towards the right thing instead of kind of maximize short-term gains. That's great. Gray, what an amazing t- uh, time and great way to end this podcast. So thanks so much for being a guest on the dugout CEO. Yeah. Thanks Casey. I appreciate it. Wow. What a great time with Gray McKenzie. That last piece of chin music was fantastic. And here are three other big takeaways that I got today. Compartmentalization. Be clear on what the big goal is. Pick a date on the calendar, five years, 10 years in advance, and write down 
Who do you want to be as a company? What do you want to accomplish? Once you define what success looks like, then you can work backwards to figure out what do we need to do today, this week, this month, this quarter to make that big goal happen. Set the goal, make sure everybody understands what the big goal and big vision is, and then work smart, not hard. Number two, productivity. Productivity isn't about getting things done efficiently and effectively. That's just step one. Productivity is making sure you do the right things in the right order. Most companies work hard, they work fast, but often they don't take the time to slow down and ensuring they're doing the right things in the right order. Work smart. Make sure the things that you're doing are the things that are ultimately going to make that long-term goal happen. Remember Pareto's principle. We talked about it before. 20% of your activities produce 80% of your results. Work efficiently and effectively, yes, but productivity is the most important. And number three, relationships matter. Work with people that you know, like, and trust. Play the long game. Business is temporary, but relationships last forever. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP at what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.